took a break. We broke for Thanksgiving, four weeks for Advent, Christmas Eve, and a year-end message, Come Before Winter. And thank you. Many comments on the Come Before Winter, by the way. And if you haven't heard any of those sermons, they're all archived. You can listen to them, and you can actually view it. The live stream is also archived. So all of it is there for you, and, and you can look at it. But now we're back to Luke. We, we, we entered into chapter 11 right before we, we took a break. We entered into chapter 11, and Jesus started teaching on prayer. Remember? This is an extension of his teaching on prayer. We're going to continue through this. The title of today's message is A Parable of Prayer. And if you're... Bible student, you'll probably know that there's another one of those parables coming up in chapter 18. Remember the parable of the persistent widow? So we're going to get to that if the Lord leaves me alive that long. And if not, you're on your own. And and the Lord will raise up another pastor here and you'll you'll get to chapter if he's preaching through Luke. But our goal is if we get there, we'll get there at chapter 18 and we're going to... Listen, why would I even mention that it's coming again? Would you agree that every word in the scripture, the word, every word matters? Nod your heads. Okay, if God repeats himself, does that elevate it a little bit? Nod your heads. If he says it over and over and over again, does, nod your heads. Don't miss this. And this is so easily missed. And I'm going to tell you why it's missed. And yet Jesus is... This is so powerful in changing our lives, and we miss it if we're not careful. So let's take a look. The parable of prayer. Here's the question. I want you to think about this as we launch. Dr. Sproul said, if there's one maverick molecule in the universe, you can't trust God for anything, which means God is sovereign and completely in control over everything. Yes? Nod your heads. If God is sovereign and in complete control over everything, his plans and purposes are fixed. Nod your heads. Yes? Then why pray? That is a legitimate question that is asked at times of me. I mean, the unbeliever looks at us with scorn in in, in our prayer life, but... Christians, young, somewhere in the middle, those who have been walking forever. If it's all fixed, and trust me, you want it fixed. You don't want a God that's fickle. You don't want a God that changes because of your request. No, you don't. Remember, you say, well, pastor, there's times I'm praying. I want the circumstances in my life to change. So do I. And sometimes they are changed. But remember Paul? Three times. Three times he wanted the circumstances to change and get rid of the thorn. And what did God say? Stop! Enough! My grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes circumstances don't change. And they don't change because that's God's perfect plan for our lives. Okay? So God is sovereign. We're supposed to be praying. Let's take a look. Here we go. Remember, he, he, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He gave the condensed version of the Lord's Prayer. It's a longer version in, in, in Matthew. Remember Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, right? And we call it the Lord's Prayer, but how do we know it's not the Lord's Prayer? 
The Lord never prayed, forgive my debts as I forgive my debtors, right? It's our prayer. It's for the disciples. It's the perfect framework that we come to God. Right? We start vertically. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. See, we stay right up there with God first. We acknowledge who he is, his greatness, his awesomeness. Then thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He lays the framework beautifully for us. Now, he's going to give us a parable. We've got to try to figure out what's going on here. Ready? Hear now the word of God. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed with me and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up, And give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given, seek and ye will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant infallible word. Pray with me. Father, it is no accident we're here this morning, everyone by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved a word of comfort for those in storm winds, and a word of rest for the tired, weary, and heavy-laden, all things to all people that some might be saved. Come, now fount of every blessing. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and Him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... Three simple points. Three simple points. Number one, the parable. Number two, the principle. And finally, number three, the promise. Before we do that, I want you to see a few things. We want to see how this is established. Remember, we're reading out of the New Testament, but there was no New Testament. So Jesus is teaching a principle. Has it been firmly established in the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures? They had a Hebrew Bible, remember? The the writings and the prophets and the law of Moses. They had that. So let's take a look. Let's get a basic understanding here before we launch out on the parable. Job 42.2. I know that you can do all things. So he understands the sovereignty of God. And then Job says, no plan of yours can be thwarted. So he knows that everything that has happened to him, although he does not understand it, he knows that God is ultimately over all of it. That's Job. The psalmist writes, 33.11, The plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Is that not a comfort to you? Can you imagine a God who changed his mind? There's a deep theological word for it, but it's very simple to understand. It's called the immutability of God. He doesn't change. Do you want a God that changes? Of 
course not. You want a God who is fixed and settled in his purposes. You don't want a God who you can come to and change his mind every time you come. He's God. He's big and we're small. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows what we need. He knows what is best. We want a God who who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We must have that God. So the Old Testament is making this clear. And finally, the prophet Isaiah in 1424, Surely I have planned so it will be, and as I have purposed, so it will stand. So now, here's the key. Remember the question? If it's fixed, why pray? Don't miss this. God's purposes are his ends. That's called the telos. That's the end goal. Pause. We see throughout the entire Old Testament God's unfolding plan of redemption, correct? And you see it in bits and pieces throughout the Old Testament. And you look back and you understand it in bits and pieces. God's unfolding plan of redemption was set and settled from before the foundation of the world. He saw the beginning from the end. It wasn't unfolding to God. It was only unfolding to us. So God has purposes, and those are his ends. He had an end game in mind for you to be right where you are today, saved by the blood of the Lamb, here listening to the word of God. His plans are fixed. And you say, well, what if I didn't show up today? That would have been his plan for you. Don't mess with God. So I tell people, it's even settled where you're sitting. And occasionally somebody will test me and get up and sit somewhere else. Hey, God moved you. Don't you mess with God. What's the matter with you? See, this is too big. We're too little. See, there was a time when we had great humility when we came before God. Not any longer. Not any longer. We used to just receive God because he was God. Not any longer. We want to sit on the throne of our lives. We want to be in charge of what's going on. We want to be God. So his purposes are his ends. Now listen, all people, places, and things are his means. Now here it is. Here it is. Including you and your prayers. You are a means to God's ends. How do you know that? What's the Great Commission? Go therefore and make disciples of all. What has God ordained you to go do? Say, make disciples. Everybody say, say, make disciples. You have been ordained by God to go make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, that, that, that baptism is, 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 is an ordinance in the church. So you bring them into the church, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? You bring them into the church, and then teaching them, don't forget this, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. You are a means to his ends. Your prayers are a means to his ends. Sometimes it just boggles the mind, but we just have to receive it. It's true. So now, with that foundation, let's take a look at the parable. Remember, remember, this really didn't happen. This is a story. It's made up for a reason. Jesus is trying to make a point to his disciples then and his disciples today. Okay, you with me? Some are real stories, right? Historical events. This is a real teaching lesson. 
But it's a story. It's a parable. To elevate the message. Five to eight. Jesus said, suppose you go, don't race through this. Suppose you go to a friend at midnight and ask, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come and I have nothing to set before him. Okay, notice the first instruction Jesus gives to you. What is it? It's midnight and you go to someone's house Looking for bread. Make sure that you lead with the opening word. Friend. Friend. Now, if you're knocking on my door, I ain't your friend. At midnight, if you're looking for bread. No, no. Oh, Kim says, go get the door. I'm not getting the door. He's calling you free. He's not my friend. But Jesus says, at least lead with friend. It's a good start at midnight. Now, a couple points. It's not three loaves like you get from the grocery store. The biscuits. Why three? This is an honor-shame culture. Do we live in an honor-shame culture anymore? Shake your heads, no. No. That's why I said there was a time when, when not that everyone was moral, but we had an understanding of morality. When it had an understanding of honor, shame. This is an honor, shame culture. Hospitality was not only desired, it was commanded. You will be hospitable. So it's midnight, the person comes, I have to set something before him, I'll take three, three biscuits, one for him, one for me, and one off to the side so he doesn't think that I, I, that's all I have left. Now everybody's good, we're, 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 we're in relationship, we're fellowshipping, we're eating. So, so that mattered in this culture, honor, shame. We don't live in that today. Now, there are still honor, shame cultures in the world, yes? You bet there are. But it's not here in this country. Okay? There are still some... There are things that are still shameful to you and I, yes? Of course. Okay, but we don't live in a shame culture. We don't, which means we have no longer been Christianized. You, you follow? Okay. All right, so stay with the, stay with the story. Notice now, then the one inside answers. Sometimes when we come to scriptures, we want to know what it does not say. Don't bother me. Notice he doesn't lead with friend. The guy outside the door whispering at midnight, ain't his friend. Go away from me. So he doesn't say friend. The door's locked. Children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. The dwellings generally one room dwelling. You got a little area for kitchen, a little area for living. You got an area for, for, for sleeping. You roll the mats out and everybody's kind of together. Depending on the dwelling, the doors, not like your doors today, a little bit more work to, 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 to close and lock and bolt them and noisy to unbolt them and open them. For, for, so it's, it's midnight. It's, why doesn't the guy just say, listen to his friend who shows up? Listen. It's midnight. Go to bed. You'll fall asleep. You won't think about your hunger anymore. And I'll feed you in the morning. He doesn't do that. Why? Jesus is making a point. He's making a point. You and I'd send the guy to bed. 
I wouldn't even open the door in the first place. He could have stayed on the porch. But we say, go to bed. We'll feed you in the morning. They get up early. They get up at 5. They start work at 6. Jesus is making a point. Now he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because of his friend. He's not a friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Notice this. It's not his relationship that causes the man to give him the bread. It's his relentlessness. Friend, friend, I need the bread. I'm not leaving until I get it. Guy finally opens the door and says, go go get what you want. Get out of here. You're wearing me out. And in that culture, the neighbors are hearing him through the walls. This is a nuisance. Look at the word boldness. If you're visiting, you haven't... Maybe you, didn't, you haven't spent a lot of time in the script. We don't use a lot of Greek and Hebrew. We use them when it's important. We show a word. We, we, we make it clear. Okay, that's all. I just want to show you this word because boldness, it's not enough. It doesn't tell you what's really happening, what Jesus wants us to understand. So look at the word. Anidea, anidea is the Greek word for impertinence and impudence, but that still may not say enough, right? It's still a little deep. Here, listen. A lack of sensitivity to what is proper. It's not proper to be banging on the door at midnight looking for bread. Even in an honor-shame society where hospitality is critical. Jesus is making the point. Now notice these bullets. This will kind of put it all. And what is he saying? He's telling you how to come to him in prayer. You have to understand the message he's telling us. This is how you're supposed to come to the throne of grace. Here's four bullets. You're to be troublesomely urgent. I need it now. You're to be overly insistent. Shamelessly persistent. I'm not leaving until I get the bread. I stay here all night. Annoyingly relentless. This is the meaning of the word. An idea. It's, it, 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 you're an irritation. It's worse than sand in the shoe. Go away. And Jesus says, No. Don't go away. I'm going to show you how you're supposed to be praying to your Father in heaven. So now, you're going to see it live. You're going to see it lived out in the Old Testament. Is this something new that Jesus is teaching? Of course not. He's building on the principles that were already laid down in the Old Testament. One word from one God to one world. Old and new. It's all together. With a single strand of truth running through all of it. The Lord Jesus Christ. God's unfolding plan of redemption. Notice now in the Old Testament. Let's start with Nehemiah. 1-4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He's he's claiming that God is sovereign, that God is in control. He knows who God is. He knows he's in exile because God has judged the people Israel. He knows that some now, after the period of bondage, have gone back to Jerusalem. There have been two parties that have gone back now over a period of years. But Nehemiah is still in captivity. But he hears the reports. And what reports does he hear? The walls are still broken down and the gates are burned. The city is in ruins still. Okay, okay. but Nehemiah knows that God is sovereign over that. That's God's judgment. 
But yet Nehemiah now is praying before God day and night. Notice what he says. Think about the last time you prayed. Did you ever say something? Let your ear be attentive as if you're not listening to me, God. And your eyes open to hear as if you're not seeing me, God. I am praying before you day and night. Does that describe your prayer life? Psalm 27, 7. Listen to these words. Don't miss this. When's the last time you said this to God? And you Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. When was the last time you ever said to God, answer me? You ever say that to somebody? There have been times in our lives at home, Kim and I would say that to the children, answer me. I never said that to God. But that's what's happening. Answer me. One commentator years and years and years ago wrote this. Sue God for his promises. That's deep stuff. Psalm 55, 1 to 2. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. He's just going to pray until God makes good on his promise. Then the prophet Isaiah says this. I have posted watchmen on the walls. This is God posting watchmen. O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. That's to you. Do not give yourselves any rest when you call on the Lord. And then give the Lord no rest till he what? Establishes. Now here is Jerusalem. Revelation 21 tells us what? The holy city, the new city, the new Jerusalem. Has been, it, God has already made the promise. Think of the promises that God has made in Scripture. Right? And you have to be careful when understanding the promises, which ones are for you, which ones were for, for, for other times. But you understand the promise. You know, you, people say to me, Pastor, I, I, I'm not sure God's will for my life. Well, it depends on what you're asking about that. I'm certain of God's will for your life and about 95% of your life. Why? Because the Bible makes that clear. But the Bible didn't tell you what to wear to church this morning. Didn't tell you who to marry. Didn't tell you where to live. What job to get, what car to drive. Didn't tell you all that. But the Bible tells you 95% of, your, of the rest of your life. So the principles are clear, okay? We know that. College kids come home sometimes, and they're really, really excited. We did some training over the Christmas break. We did some training, right? And they come home, and sometimes this is is what I get. Coach, oh, you'll never guess what happened. Do tell. Oh, I met the man of my dreams. Go on. Well, I know what you're thinking. He's not actually saved yet. What? What? I didn't make this up. The Bible says to not be unequally yoked. God made it up. Minister to him. Preach the gospel to him. Meet him at the coffee house. But don't give your heart to him. Not yet. Well, I was hoping that if we got together, I'd get him saved. You ain't that big. You're not the Savior. Stop. 95% of God's will is clear. The rest you figure out. So we know how we should be praying. You know how to 
deal in your business. You know how to handle your finances. The Bible makes it clear. You know how we should deal with the society and the culture? Mercy and justice. We know exactly what God has called us to. We don't have to make this stuff up as we go along. So we're to be crying out to God to make good on his promises. And here's the final one. This one I love. I, I, just, I love this because it's so personal and it really speaks to my heart. Genesis 32, 26. Jacob is wrestling with God himself at night. We don't know what all that means. And the angel says, let me go for it's daybreak. And what does Jacob say? I will not let you go unless you bless me. When's the last time you said that to God? I will not let you go. And does God bless him? Oh, he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. When's the last time we wrestled with God in prayer? I will not let you go until you bless me. That's the parable. Here's the principle. Now, this is where the wheels come off the tracks for prosperity preachers. Don't miss this, please. Ask, and here's the principle. There's a principle in the parable. Okay? Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock. The door will be open. You, everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, what does that mean? Let me show you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean the believer has a blank check. See that on the screen? You know what a blank check means? Now, you don't have that in prayer. Now, now blank checks, no, there's nothing wrong with a blank check. You, you can hand us one anytime you like, put in an offering plate. And put a little note of pastor, fill in whatever you like. Blank. Use it to service the ministry of God. But you don't have that in prayer. Why? The principle's already been established. It's these prosperity preachers who say you can ask for anything. No, 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 you can't. Jesus already meant, thy will be done. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, take this cup. That was a legitimate request. Take the cup. But not my will, thy will be done. So there are clear guidelines to what we're supposed to ask when we Here's one of the... I don't have it up on the screen for you. Romans 4.17, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Do you know what these people preach? You just simply stand in front of the mirror and you call things into existence. You speak it into existence. Things that are not as if they were. You look it in the mirror. I'm 60 and I'm broke. But I'm going to be a millionaire tomorrow. And I'm going to sow that seed because I know it's coming back to me. Wow. It's possible you could be a millionaire tomorrow. But that's not the principle in the prayer. It's the truth that will set you free. Best you be speaking truth to your life. You don't, listen. I've never met anyone who has ever spoken anything into existence, least of all me. There's only one being in the entire universe that speaks into existence. That's God. You can pray for all the things that you, but you're not speaking anything into existence, okay? Clear misuse of that passage, tying it in here to this principle that we have a blank check. He's a cosmic Santa Claus that grants us our wishes if we're good. He's a genie in a bottle. No, that's not what this says. Now, let's frame it out. Watch. 
1 John makes it, we already know the principles. So here's 1 John. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything, what? According to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So is it proper to go to the throne of grace and pray for healing? Of course it is. Is it proper to go to the throne of grace and not only pray for healing, but expect to be healed and hold on to him and say, I will not let you go until, is that proper? Of course it is. But we must be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For they refused to bow down to the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king says, I'm going to give you one more shot at bowing down to this thing next time you hear the instruments play. And if you don't, we're going to heat the furnace seven times harder than it's ever been heated and we're throwing you in. You know what they said? Don't miss this. My God is able to save us. And he will save us. But if not, we will never bow. Ever. When you make your prayer, you best close it with these words. But if not, that's what a seasoned Christian understands. Oh, God, heal me. But if not, I will never bow. For your will is better than mine. Your plan and purpose is better than mine. You know exactly what I need, so I will receive all that you deliver to me. That's the key in understanding the will of God. Pray for healing. Believe, we believe. Jesus, what is, what, is, what is Jesus countering right now? The Pharisees' prayers. They never prayed believing for anything. They prayed to themselves. I thank thee, O God, I'm not like other men. Jesus says, don't pray like this. Believe what you ask for. Believe that God is going to give it. But understand, there's a framework. It must be according to his will. What would you rather have? Your will or his? Answers itself. It's rhetorical. Jeremiah 29. Here's the one we use for graduation. We use this all the time, but we, but we don't put in verse 12. We have to do it when we're talking about prayer. What's Jeremiah 29, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And we put that in the Bible. We put that in the card. We put that in our gift we give to the graduate. But we have to go to verse 12 to understand prayer. What does verse 12 say? Then you will call. Why in the world would I call on you if I already know the plans you have for me and the plans are already fixed? Why? Because I am telling you that you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Do you see that? We're not only invited into prayer, we're commanded to pray. Even though it's fixed, it's, a, it's the means that God uses to get us to his ends. So don't miss that in Jeremiah 29. Okay? James 4 you do not have, why? Because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, why? Because you ask with wrong motives. Think about the heart. Why do you ask for what you ask for? What's in the heart? Can't you think, look at it this way. Can't you look back at your, remember, life has to be lived. Some of the great scholars today tell us that life is only understood looking backwards, right? You have to look backwards. Can't you look back at some of the prayers that you were crying out to God to answer in the affirmative, and he said no, and you say today, oh, thank you, Jesus. Whew, what a mess that would have been. 
I just wanted to keep being the coach. I did everything I could to keep being a coach. I don't want to do this. No, God's calling you to be a pastor. You're out of your mind. I don't want to do this. I'm a coach. Good, go coach in the pulpit. No, I don't want to do that. It doesn't matter. He wants you to do it. I kept going down the wrong road, banging my head against the wall, careening from wall to wall. God had a plan. Got to follow God's plan, not ours. I left the fire department after nine and a half years to open the wellness center. Eleven years, I wanted to stay in that. I didn't want to be a failure. Why in the world would God take this away? God saved at the halfway point. Why would he take this away? He had a better plan. I'm in a meeting with a bunch of people who formed a board for my parachurch ministry. And I said, okay, if we don't have the wellness center, I want to travel the globe and I want to speak and teach. And they all met and said, no, he's calling you into the church. I don't want to go into the church and get the hives in the church. I don't like the church. I was in the church when I was little. No, you're called in the church. You're going to be a churchman. I couldn't imagine doing anything else in my life than what I'm doing now. I couldn't imagine it. Couldn't even dream of it. And I fought him every step of the way. No, God. God, aren't you listening to me? No, I'm not listening to you because you don't understand what you're asking for. That's not what I want for you. Why call if God's plans are confirmed? Why? Your prayers are the means to God's ends in your life. That's why we call. Finally, the promise, and we're done. Don't, he, he's going to give a little ex- illustration now. He's going to give us a little example. And, and this is really important. It's called an argument from the, the lesser to the greater. You'll see it's real easy to understand this. Watch. Which of you now, he's speaking to fathers, right? Fathers, mothers, he's speaking to the parents. Which of you, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion now, a couple points on that. I, I, it, he's making an argument, but scorpion and the egg, what is that? That doesn't really translate. I'm, I'm kind of confused. In the ancient world, scorpions, when they would fold up, they'd actually look like a little egg. So next to an egg, you, you, you could really grab either one. Now, you're not going to make a mistake between the fish and the snake, so that would be intentional. So if your son asked for a fish and you gave him a snake, and, and we've done that at times in our house, Kim and I. No, just to mess with them. But that, I asked for this. It don't matter. You got that. Receive it with great joy. But I didn't want that. I know. I know. But we think this is best for you. See, that's what God does. So now, watch what he says. If you then, though you are evil. Okay, just pause. We're not going to unpack this. So if you're visiting, we're not going to unpack this. I'll leave it in the vernacular. Well, first, just the theology. That, that's the doctrine of original sin. That's the doctrine of total depravity. Okay, we're, we're evil, right? But here, if you're visiting, would you agree with this statement? Well, pastor, no one's perfect. We'd all agree with that, right? Right, there's evil in us. There's evil in us. 
When I made the comment in the first ser- service this morning, we were talking about the little kids, and I said parents with little two-year-olds, right? Right, little Theodore. Doing stuff that you didn't teach him. And then looking at Grandma going, Grandma, what is he doing at your house when he's away from us? What are you teaching this little boy? We don't have to teach these little children. We don't have to teach you, Claire, do we? No, Mama knows. Why? It's in the heart. We remember watching Brock and looking. I'm thinking, Kim, what are you doing when I'm out of here? I didn't teach him that. You don't have to teach evil. It's there. And it's only God's restraining hand that keeps us from being as bad as we could be. So, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? We'll hit that at the very end. He argues from the lesser. Look at He argues from the lesser. If you as evil fathers are going to give good stuff, how much more will God, who is perfect, He's arguing that from evil fathers to our Father in heaven, who's perfect and righteous and holy and good, how much more will God... See, what God gives you is your best. He's giving you what you need, even though at times you say, I don't want this. It's not what I asked for. And God says, I know. You don't know what you're asking for. I can see the beginning from the end. You can't. This is a train wreck. I'm watching you go down the track. You ever seen the movies and you're watching the train? You go, oh, 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 oh. And you know what's going to happen. God sees that. Now, sometimes God says, okay, go. Ever have a train wreck or am I alone? I know some of you had some train wrecks. I'm not alone. But then sometimes God steps in and says, no, no, no. We're going to get on a different track. This is not the track I have for you argues from the lesser to the greater. Now, here's the close. I promise you this will be worth the price of admission. Ready? We're going back to the final verse. If you then, though are evil, right? We've already cleared that. Doctrine of uh, deprav- total depravity, original sin. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, pause. Now, when you come to Scripture, you have to ask the question, right? You come to Scripture. Jesus teaching on prayer. We're talking about bread, banging on the door. I need some bread. Then ask, seek, knock. You're thinking about all the stuff that you want, all the stuff that you're going to get, all the stuff that you're hoping God's going to bless you with. And then he gets to the end. He's teaching all of this practicality on prayer. And what does he do? He goes as deep as he can go theologically in his message. And what does he say? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? Who's even talking about the Holy Spirit? I'm not asking for that. I'm asking to be blessed at the office, and I'm asking to be strengthened in my marriage. I'm asking my wayward children to come back home. I'm not asking for that. So what has Jesus just done? He's changed the entire focus of the entire message on your entire prayer life. How? Watch. He argues from the greater gift to the lesser gifts. Not just the gift, but the gift giver. What do you want? You want the gifts? Or do you want the gift giver? What do you really want? Ready for the close? Here it is. Pray for counsel. All of us, pray for counsel. You get the counselor. Pray for guidance, you get the guide. Pray for assurance of your salvation. You get the almighty assurer. 
Pray for strength, you get the strengthener. Pray for comfort, you get the comforter. Pray for healing, you get the healer. You may not get the healing. But you got the healer. You got what you need. We don't always get what we want. But if you are in Christ, you always get what you need. My God will meet all of your needs in the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. Not your wants, your needs. I don't want to be healed if I don't have the healer. I want to be healed and have the healer. But if not, I'll take the healer till I cross the Jordan. And I come into that eternal place where there will be no more sadness. No more sorrow. No more death. No more pain. That's what we want. Even if we don't articulate it. Because that's what we need. We need the presence of God in our lives. That's the power of the gospel. Is that your truth? You're invited right now. You say, oh pastor, there's time. There's no time. Any one of us could be gone on the way home today. Now is a moment of salvation. With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Jesus has come. Will you come to Christ by grace through faith? Will you transfer your trust to Christ? Will you surrender your life to Jesus? Will you come to the one who hung on a cross and said, My God, my God, why? Why? Because of you and because of me. Come to Christ. It is appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. Now is a moment of salvation. Tonight it may be too late. Come to Christ. Come now. If you've never prayed, pray with me now. All believers, pray with me now. Father, we're not saved by a profession of faith. We're saved by a possession of it. But you've called us to pray. So right now, with one voice, every believer in this room... We ask you by way of the internet right now. You've been watching this service. You have heard the truth of the gospel. You know that you are far from God. You know that you have never been in a right relationship with him. You know that you're not perfect and you know that something is wrong. The truth is clear. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So just pray these words. Oh God, I heard the truth today and that truth has set me free. Give me the gift of repentance and faith. I cry out to you, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And I receive the gift, the free gift of eternal life. And Father, then we would ask that you would give the confident assurance that nothing will ever separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. That's the power of the gospel. And Lord, for all of us, many who've walked for decades, some in the middle of storm winds right now, oh God, be merciful to all of us. Strengthen all of us in our faith. Give us the solid witness of Christians who know who you are and receive whatever it is that you give to us with joy and thanksgiving. For you are God and you know what is best for us. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.